Well, the message for this morning is fairly simple and straightforward. It is, uh, it's entitled, True Rejoicing, Discovering a Joy Beyond Ourselves. Discovering a Joy Beyond Ourselves. I'm gonna read this portion of scripture here from Matthew chapter two, beginning in verse nine. It's about the Magi, or known more frequently as the wise men from the east, the, the Magi. Matthew two, when they heard the king, they departed And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Father, we love you and we ask that you would bring us as a people into a deeper expression of rejoicing in you and that we would be anchored, our joy would be fully anchored in you. What you've spoken to us through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, obviously it's the Christmas season and reflecting on this story, one of the things that struck me is that here are these men Uh, rejoicing with exceedingly great joy with the child who is Jesus and uh, Mary. And some scholars estimate that by the time these wise men, these magi had actually reached the child that he was about two years old. One of the things that's interesting about the magi, uh, most biblical scholars believe that they came from the region of Iran and that they had traveled many months over several hundred miles. I mean, you know, five, six, seven hundred miles that they had traversed to actually come there. Uh, Traditionally, the story teaches that there are three wise men, but the biblical text doesn't say that there are only three or that it was limited to three. That's just kind of the way that the tradition has told the story, that there were three wise men, but there were likely many, many more, and some believe that the company that actually came to worship the child that followed the star was a large company of several hundred people. And uh, the reason why is uh, for, for, there's a number of hints that are in this story. One is that they're carrying treasure, and if you're only three people carrying treasure across 700 miles, you'd probably be killed and then robbed, or robbed and killed. I don't know how the robbers do it in that order. Anyway, that's not important. <clears throat> but, uh, but as they came, they were likely with a large company of people, and they would have required uh, protection along the way, potentially, you know, soldiers or bodyguards or that type of thing. And so when they come to the city, they go and see Herod first. And the reason why is because if they were part of royalty or nobility from another nation, you wouldn't go to a foreign land uh, with a large company of people because you have to have all the supplies with you, all the body car, the, the uh, bodyguards rather, and you wouldn't go to another land without announcing your arrival to the king, who's King Herod. So they go and see King Herod. And uh, anyways, it's just very likely that it was this large company of people, and some of them were magi, these wise men, these seers, astrologers, and the like that watched the stars and the heavens 
uh, for various signs. Some believe that they had some of the ancient uh, writings of Daniel and, and maybe from the Pentateuch and other writings that actually led them on this journey all the way to Israel. But anyways, the point is they come and they're wealthy. And uh, what's striking me is the fact that they come and they're actually rejoicing at the birth of this child. And what's interesting to me about that is the fact that they're rejoicing about something that doesn't directly benefit them in that moment. And we see here in the passage, I have it highlighted in the notes, you know, it says that they saw the young, chi the young child with his mother and they fell down and they worshiped him, okay? And then it says that they opened up their treasures and they began giving gifts uh, to the child. They're so overwhelmed. And uh, I believe that the Magi, <clears throat> in their rejoicing, they found a joy that was beyond themselves. And I think that's an important principle for us to understand and grab a hold of as a spiritual family is that rejoicing is connected to finding a source of joy that is beyond ourselves. And you see these, this company of people, maybe it's men and women, I don't know, traversing this long, long distance to come and worship Christ at a great expense to themselves, And... Um, not directly benefiting from that much. I mean, he wasn't yet, you know, the king of, of the earth. And so anyway, so they come. So a working definition of rejoicing, which is what we're gonna talk about today. Rejoicing is the worshipful response of the heart when the source of joy is seen. A worshipful response of the heart. It, it makes us feel gladness and joy on the inside when the source of what it is that we want, what it is that we cherish the most is seen or beheld uh, by us. And uh, you could argue that, uh, uh, that the more clearly something is seen, the greater the rejoicing is. You know, we were, uh, you know, worshiping this morning and Brenton and the team were leading us and we're singing to the Lord, we're singing to Jesus and, uh, and it's sweet and, you know, it's, uh, our hearts may feel tender, we may lift up our hands or, or utter some words and, and as we're singing to the Lord. But I promise you that if Jesus himself were here visibly, physically in our midst, that the amount of rejoicing would dramatically increase, Right? Because the, when the source of joy is present, the expression of rejoicing increases. They didn't just mail a letter to Mary, the Magi, and just say, congratulations on the baby, here's a gift certificate for some diapers. They went the whole way, and when they saw the child, the object of their joy, the rejoicing went to another level. You know, they're worshiping a baby, this child. They're actually worshiping him and no one is stopping them. Mary and Joseph aren't going, wait, 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 too, too far, guys. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They're not in idolatry. It's not weird because the source of their joy was visible. And, and the more clearly that our source of joy is, is alive to us and real to us, the more that our worship and the expression towards that source of joy uh, will increase. Now, <clears throat> in the Greek, in the Greek word of uh, the word rejoicing, 
or rejoice. There's a connection between these words. It also is connected to the words uh, grace and the words joy. They all kind of go together. Um, the birth of Christ, John tells us in John chapter one, is when the grace of God is revealed to humanity. It's the manifestation of God's grace. It's his unmerited favor that is toward us. And so they all share these, these three words, rejoicing, joy, and grace, all share the same root word. And so that seeks, uh, helps us inform our understanding of what it means to rejoice. Another definition of the word rejoice is to be calmly happy. And we'll see in just a moment how striking that is because the scripture calls us to rejoice in every single season. Matter of fact, Paul says rejoice always. And we might say, well, Paul, what if things aren't going my way? He says rejoice in the Lord. Find a source of joy that's greater than yourself. Well, what if my health is bad? What if the health of a loved one is bad? What if I don't have the finances I need? What if, what if things are being set back or I'm bankrupt or I'm gonna lose my business or my relationships are falling apart? And the scripture says, rejoice always in the Lord. And so what does that mean? It means that we have to find a source of joy that is far beyond our circumstances far beyond what we can presently see or understand, we have to be connected to something that would cause us to take a, 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 you know, a convoy of camels and traverse 600 miles to go find a baby, worship the baby, spend, you know, in that day, probably thousands or millions of dollars, and then just go back home and then die. We have to find a source of joy that causes us to rejoice in spite of pain, sorrow, setback, being hurt. And that's what the scripture calls us to. Now the world's uh, source of joy, why does the world rejoice? The world rejoices when their source of joy is right in front of them and they're experiencing it. And it's often a temporary source of joy. It's some pleasure, it's some delight, it's, it's money or it's opportunity or it's prestige. And when they touch it for a minute, there's a minute of rejoicing, but then that rejoicing languishes. Why? Because their source of joy is only temporary. But in Christianity, our source of joy is eternal. It never languishes. It never fades. Paul the Apostle tells us that we go from glory to glory and strength to strength. We actually increase in our experience of joy and in our rejoicing, we will actually increase forever and ever and ever. And we don't have to dismay. We don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to live frustrated or angry lives. Why? Because the Christian source of joy is eternal, it's immortal, it is God himself, as we shall see. Now we're called to rejoice with this eternal joy like I talked about, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, <clears throat> verses 16 to 18, Paul says, rejoice always and to pray without ceasing in everything, give thanks, 
everything. We say, wait, 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 Paul, you can't be everything. We're in the midst of a global pandemic. We're in the midst of really intense uh, cultural wars and, and words and, and people being divisive and angry towards one another. We can't do that. And Paul says, no, in all things, give, give thanks. In all times, rejoice. Because if your source of joy is knit to what should be happening right now today, in your world, in your life, then you will despair because you won't be able to experience the, the, the full measure, the full glory, the full riches of that moment because our life now is, is dim and it's hard and it's labor. I mean, Paul said it best. He said, I'd rather be with the Lord, but I'm gonna hang around for you guys' sake. And sometimes I think we feel that. Like, I would just rather be in the presence of the Lord. And yet we're called to live this life of rejoicing and gladness in God, even in the midst of often horrible circumstances. Paul says again in Philippians chapter four, verse six, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And whenever these words are showing up, rejoicing, it's always followed by always. Don't just rejoice when you feel like it. Rejoice when you don't feel like it. Rejoice, find your delight and worship God even when the chips are down, when things have taken a step back, when you feel discouraged in your life, when you're under pressure, when you're under pain, he says, that then too, rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in him. And often the reason that we get angry and frustrated is because we've put our joy, the source of our joy, in something temporary, something circumstantial. We get the pay raise at work. We get the nice vacation. We get this, we get that, we're happy. We're, we're in this moment where everybody in the house is, it's the holidays and everybody's getting along and no one's arguing about politics or vaccines or what's, what's real and what's not. We're just like, ah, oh, this is it. This is the moment of joy, but it's temporary. And if we find our source of joy in those temporary things, see, those things can be taken away from us. What is your source of joy? If it can be taken away, it is not the true source of joy. What's also interesting about these two key passages in the New Testament in Thessalonians 5 and Philippians 4 is that both of them are in the context of the day of the Lord. And we know well the day of the Lord, that, that great and terrible day, that awesome and dreadful day that is coming upon the earth. And Paul is saying, in light of that day, look right here in Philippians 4, 6 at the end, the Lord is at hand. That's speaking of the day of the Lord and his return. And in spite of the dreadful, terrible, wonderful, awful, powerful day of the Lord, he says, find your joy in something that will last and endure forever. And if you find your joy there, you'll rejoice, whether you're in a prison or in a mansion, whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley, whether your life is going down the drain 
or you're walking into what you've perceived to be your destiny and your heart is alive and moving, regardless of the season, find your joy in the things of God. Uh, paragraph C, to rejoice as Jesus has invited the source of our joy. What is the source of your joy? What is the thing that you cannot lose? The thing that you cannot, that would absolutely crush you if you lost it. To rejoice as the Bible calls us to means that our source of joy must be moved from temporary things to eternal things. It's a source of joy that's actually greater than our most beloved relationships here on earth because unpredictable things can happen and they do happen. And yet if we lose that loved one that was a the source of joy, not a source of joy, the source of joy, does it completely devastate our lives? Our source of joy must be connected into something that endures even the pains of death. The New Testament disciples us to shift our vision of joy in this direction. Listen to what Jesus uh, <clears throat> excuse me, says in Matthew chapter six. He says, don't lay up for yourself treasures, that's a source of joy, on the earth. Don't put your treasure and your source of joy in an earthly temporary thing where moth and rust can destroy, where a thief can break in and steal. See, your source of joy has to be untouchable in order for it to be the true Christian source of joy that no one could take from you, that a life couldn't be taken from you, that wealth couldn't be taken from you, that material things, that a home, that a car, that a job couldn't be taken from you. If we're talking about those things, we're not talking about the truest Christian joy. And Jesus says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Find your source of joy in heaven where God's power is, where God is, and where his promises remain, and where everlasting joy and gladness. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be, or there your joy will be. Put your treasure in that which cannot be destroyed or touched by the pains and the ills of this life because the pains and the ills will touch your life. They already are touching your life. And where is your joy? Where is your sense of gladness even now? In the, in the cultural context that we're in, in the, in the global pandemic that we're in, where is your sense of joy? Do you find yourself discouraged and without joy? Well, maybe if you find yourself in that way, then your joy has become a temporary thing rather than an eternal thing, an earthly thing rather than a heavenly thing. And the scripture is constantly moving us towards this eternal source of joy. Paul says it like this in Colossians 3, a similar idea. He says, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Seek your joy from the things that come from God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
set your mind in verse two, set your mind, put your, put your attention, put your value on the things above. The things that come from Christ and through Christ are the things which moth and rust and thieves cannot get in and disrupt or destroy. Verse three, you've died, your life is hidden with Christ. Who you are in God, your meaning, your purpose, your identity is fully found in Christ. It's not found in temporary joys. It's found in him. So don't be discouraged. Don't be weary. Don't grow anxious. Don't look out with a fearful, troubled heart. Your life is hidden in Christ's. When he comes, your life will make sense. When he comes, who you truly are and who God has called you to be will make sense. And until then, David describes it in the Psalms, we're strangers, we're pilgrims, we're aliens in this life. So we can't love alien joys, we must love eternal joys that come from our Father, amen? Three reasons that Christians rejoice. Number one, we rejoice because we abide in the affections of Christ and we are his joy. Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The most powerful man who cannot die deeply and profoundly loves you and enjoys you. He has the power to raise you from the dead. He has the power to fill you with his spirit. He has the power to call you forth. He has the power to deliver you from sin and death and decay. That God, that man has set his affections fully on us. And in this, we are to rejoice. Look at what Jesus says in John 15. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. The same measure that the Father has for the son, the same quality of affection and desire. He says, I have that same affection and desire for you. He says, I want you to abide in this. I want you to live here. I want you to live in this constant state of rejoicing that my delight is in you. You may not feel my delight is in you, but that doesn't change the fact that my delight is in you. He says, I want you to live there. I want you to dwell there. Look at this in verse 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you. Why? So that your joy, or rather, my joy may remain in you. I'm going to deposit a joy. I'm going to deposit a source of joy in you so that your joy would be made full. God is after us experiencing the fullness of joy that's available to the human race so that we rejoice in him. He wants you to experience joy. He's not trying to keep you out of joy. He's trying to get you into joy. A lot of people view Christianity and view following Jesus as God stopping our joy, stopping our fun, and raining on our parade. The exact opposite is true. People are like, it's too hard to find my joy in the Lord. And what they mean is, I'd rather be demon-possessed than follow Jesus. As if somehow being demon-possessed 
and afflicted by addiction and sin and on the trajectory to destruction is somehow more joyful than experiencing the life and the grace and the power of God in our lives. It doesn't make sense to me at all. And it shouldn't make sense to us. We're to be the most joyful, rejoicing people on You can't take that from us. And you see that in Paul and Silas. They're locked up. Their liberty is taken. All their rights have been denied. They're thrown into prison. And guess what they're doing? Rejoicing. Because their source of joy wasn't in their rights or their liberties or their freedoms. Hello? That's not where their source of joy was. Their source of joy was that their names were written in the book of life that the Father loved them and enjoyed them and called them by name, that they're gonna live a billion years in the joy and the delight of God in the age to come. That's where their source of joy was. And often as Christians, I think we get sucked into the trap of if we put our source of joy in something temporary, then when that thing is taken away, we have no joy left. We become angry, bitter, cynical Christians, and guess what? The world doesn't want to come to your church. Why would they want to come to a bunch of bitter, angry, cynical Christians? We have a source of joy where we can rejoice in every, in all season of our life, every setback. In God, there is no setback. There's temporary delay there's pain, but ultimately, God is going to reconcile and redeem our lives, our decisions, our motives, our, our relationships. Our joy is found in him. The second reason that we rejoice is because of our heavenly and eternal reward, which God wants you to love and enjoy. That's why we love money so much. And in Matthew 6, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. He knew what he was talking about. He wants us, he knows that we're motivated by reward. And he's the, we're not supposed to change that or repent of that. It's the type of reward that we're after that matters. It's the shift of the focus. Is it a temporary reward? Do you just need the praise of men? Do you just need someone to just, Talk about how amazing you are and how unbelievable you are. He talks about it, Jesus does, in the Gospels. He says, yeah, you might go and give an extravagant gift and a bunch of people praise you. He goes, you've received your reward. You've received it in accordance with the economy of men. You've done a good deed. People recognized it. They applauded you. That's all the reward you're getting. But there's another kind of reward in the economy of God. It's that which is done in secret. It's that which is done from a pure motive of the heart, not unto men, but unto God. I work hard at my job because it honors God. I am honest with my finances because it honors God. I do things in secret of integrity and honesty and purity because it honors God. And what God sees in secret, one day he'll reward openly. And I wanna promise that the return on investment, the ROI, right, is much higher in God's economy than it is on our economy. If you give money to the poor and your friend sees you and they say, wow, well done, you've done that, that's the only reward you get. But if God sees that, who knows how much more he's going to return on that investment? 
we rejoice in God because of our heavenly reward. Look at this. In Luke chapter 10, the disciples come back because they're so excited that they're moving in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. Demons are coming out of people. Sicknesses are being healed, and they're rejoicing in power. And Jesus says to them, don't rejoice in this. Don't even rejoice in the fact that demons, meaning the spirits here in verse 20, spirits are subject to you, but rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven, that you're a part of the family and the registry of heaven. That's where you find your true source of joy. Do you know what's more powerful than promises of revival and healing and miracles? Do you know what's more powerful than promises of developing a Truman land or revival coming to our city? Do you know what's better than that? Jesus, the man, the person. He's far better than temporary power. He tells the disciples, he goes, the power's great. I sent you out to do the power and do the miracles. There's something greater, the fact that you belong to my father. The power might be there one year and gone the next. The anointed meeting might be super fun on Friday and a drag on Saturday. It might come and go. You can't control any of that, but what you can latch a hold of is the source of joy knowing that you have an eternal reward with God, that he knows your name, that you've been registered in that holy celestial city. And do you know that there's a day where you will enter that city for the first time? There will be a first day. You'll remember it. There will be a first day. You enter the gates of that celestial city, those 180-mile-wide gates, one gate, 180 miles wide, carved of one pearl, the book of Revelation tells us, you're gonna enter into that celestial city for the first time, and you're gonna be like, what did I just get into? I have stumbled into the marketing of all marketing of pyramid schemes. This is unbelievable. There's gonna be a day you walk down those streets that look like they're paved in gold. You're gonna turn a corner And there's going to be Yahweh sitting on his throne. And there's angels around him. And there's ministers of fire around him, covered in eyes. And the thousands upon thousands are singing, worthy, worthy, holy. And you're going to see that for the first time. And you're going to go, you know what? The temporary things of my life that I put so much stake in, that I put so much value in are gonna seem like dust and ashes compared to this. If you hear people's uh, you know, near-death experiences where they go to heaven and, and go before the Lord and the Lord gives them an option, hey, do you wanna stay here or go back? Almost everybody's like, I wanna stay. It don't matter what's going on or who I'm leaving, like, sorry, family. Like, I, this place is so good. What's going on here is so good. I want to stay here. Please let me stay here. You have a reward in heaven and in the age to come. Look look at this. Even Christians, they rejoice when they're being reviled and persecuted. Who else is doing that? What worldly leader, politician, celebrity, whatever, is being reviled by people and mocked openly and they're just rejoicing? Their source of joy is, 
is connected to that person's praise. And when that person isn't praising them, they have no joy. For the Christian, your source of joy is connected to the praise of your father and the delight of the son and the ministry of the Holy Spirit to your life. And so when you're being persecuted and reviled, Jesus says, hey, rejoice greatly. It'll make sense. It's all going to make sense. Great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Number three, reason that the Christian is to rejoice is because of Christ himself. Christ himself is the object and the source of unspeakable joy and delight. The prophets foretold it. The apostles foretold it. There is nothing better, richer, sweeter than Christ himself, the person of Christ. And one day you're gonna see him face to face. You're gonna know him. You're gonna know the mind of the Lord and the ways of the Lord and the heart of the Lord. You're gonna have a conversation with him, many conversations with him. You're gonna be in his presence. David tells us that it's in the presence of the Lord that there are pleasures forevermore. I want pleasures forevermore. That sounds really good. Do you know that's not non-Christian to say that or want that, to want pleasure and delight unspeakably forevermore? We're wired to want that stuff. And the Lord says, I've wired you that way and I've provided the answer. It's when you find your source of joy in me. Jesus knew the longing of the disciples' hearts that he would be taken from them after the cross. He addresses this very issue. He says, therefore, now you have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice. You're gonna worship. You're gonna take all that you are and lay it down before Jesus when you see just how beautiful and how glorious and how majestic he actually is. And all the stories, they're true. Three outcomes. Look at the bottom here bringing this to an end. Three outcomes of rejoicing in Christ. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter four, verses three to seven, he says there are three things that are gonna happen when you begin living a life of rejoicing uh, before the Lord. Verse five, I'll begin reading here. Let your gentleness be known to all men, for the Lord is at hand, and be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Do you know the amount of anxiety that is increasing in our society right now? It, I, I saw some number statistics somewhere. It's, I'll probably get it wrong, but it was like 80, an 80% increase. Like eight out of 10 people experiencing in the last year and a half feelings of, of intense anxiety, depression, fear. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, don't worry. Express your fears, your troubles to God. Give them to God. Talk to him about it. He's the one that can fix it. He's the one that has the power to bring resolution to it. Don't just worry about it. Don't just complain about it. Don't just tell your friend about it. Talk to God about the things that are causing you to be anxious. Verse seven. Paul says, the peace of God which surpasses understanding 
will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Let's look at three of these things that happens when we find our source of joy in Christ. Number one, you will be gentle in an increasingly hostile age. Where are those who are gentle right now in our culture and society? Where can you get on social media? Where can you read a magazine or a blog or turn on a news station and find those that are operating in a spirit of gentleness like our Father has? The Lord is calling forth gentle Christians in this very hour. That as the cultural hostility increases and the cultural war rages and everyone's playing the blame game and if everyone had their way, half the population would be imprisoned. You know, I've been reading the news and following things on social media. I think if one side won, the other half would be in prison. That's 150 million Americans. So half the people, you're in prison now. You deserve prison. Where's the spirit of gentleness? Where is the heart of Jesus that is meek and lowly? Where is the one like Christ that when they're reviled, they bless? And when they persecute, they don't lash out. Where are the ones that are suffering and they're saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Where is the gentleness of Christ among his church? And what if the Lord caused us to be that gentle? What if the Lord caused us to be gentle not just towards those we love, but towards those that hate us, that speak evil against us, that want to take from us, that want to steal from us, that want to misuse and, and mistreat us. Where's the spirit of gentleness there? I tell you, it's found in those that have a true source of joy anchored in the age to come and found in Christ, those that are rejoicing in Christ. Number two, Another outcome of rejoicing in Christ, you will have peace in an increasingly unstable age. I think everyone is looking for some sense of stability. What's right? What's wrong? What's going to happen? What's the future hold? And as more and more instability gains momentum, the Lord is going to raise up believers just like you that have a supernatural peace on their life. Let's see what Paul says. He says, the peace of God that passes understanding. You will possess a peace. Where is it from? It's from God. It's, It's not connected to the understanding of your circumstances. It's not connected to the understanding of the cultural climate and the political climate and what's happening in the earth. It's not connected to any of that. It's a peace that possesses your heart from the Holy Spirit that in times of trouble and pressure, you feel joyfully calm on the inside. Maybe you've felt this way before. Maybe you've had a friend that's felt this way before. They were going through a horrible time in their life. Maybe they lost a loved one and finances were just horrible and things were drying up left and right and they're in a terrible state of life and yet supernaturally they have a peace from God. And you're their friend looking at them, you're like, what is wrong with you? Why aren't you just losing your mind right now? Like, let me help you lose your mind. That's kind of what we do as friends right now. Like, you are way too calm for how bad things are. I'm gonna freak out for you. Because we expect that our circumstances 
should affect our demeanor and our peace. That's the way we're wired. We expect that hard circumstances should lead to just outrageous lack of inner peace on the inside, but not so with those who rejoice in Christ. Not so those that have a source of joy that is beyond ourselves, an unshakable source of joy. And you've met those people before, maybe at a funeral or they're grieving the, the, uh, the lost loved one. And you've met them before and, you know, you talk to another friend and, well, how are they doing? Well, you know, they're just, they're remarkably peaceful. It's kind of like eerie to us. Like, again, like we want people to kind of freak out and just melt down. We're just kind of waiting for it. And yet there's a peace that comes by the Spirit when our hope is anchored in another age. Number three, your mind will be protected in an increasingly deceptive age. He says this, that God will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, the end of verse seven. God will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. There is a battle over truth that is raging. Everybody is assuming everyone else is deceived. We would never consider maybe we're the ones that deceived. That's, you know, that's not okay to talk about, apparently. There's an increase of, of deception, of lying, of all sorts of things going on. Do you know what you need? You need God to help guard your heart and your mind. You need God to help put a filter on the thoughts, on the things that you're hearing, on the things that you're reading. You need God to guard you. I need guard, God to guard me. I don't have what it takes to sort through all the opinions, to sort through all the arguments, to sort through all that stuff and try and figure out what's right and wrong. And I'm not saying don't go research and, and be a student. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that we need a supernatural help from God to guard our minds. And our heart is the, the place of our emotions. People's emotions are all over the place. It is an emotional basket case going on. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is not guarding their emotions. We need the help of God. And when we begin to rejoice in Christ and we begin to put our source of joy in him and in what the scripture teaches, in what the word of God says, the Holy Spirit will come and help to guard our thoughts, guard our emotions, and guard, I believe, our lives at another level. Let's invite the worship team to come out. Let's go ahead and stand as we're uh, bringing service to a close here. I'm gonna pray for us. Father, we love you and we love your son, Jesus. We love his preciousness. We love his power. We love the gift of God that was given to the earth. You gave us the gift of your son. Lord, we want to rejoice. We want to rejoice in an unshakable joy. Let me ask you this, just as you're talking to the Lord right now, just take a minute, just do a self-inventory. Talk to the Lord. What is your joy in? What can be taken away 
from you that would disrupt your joy, that would disrupt your inner delight, that would make you melt down and wanna quit and just give up? What is it that could be taken from you? Would the Holy Spirit this morning even begin to redirect some of that joy? Redirect the source of some of that joy in your life and begin to anchor it in the things of him. Beloved, we're in a training ground right now. The Lord's preparing his church. He's preparing us. He's preparing us to meet him face to face one day. These weeks matter. These days matter. These last couple years, they matter before God. The Lord's trying to shake us out of the temporal and into the eternal, that our joy would not be taken, that it would not be stolen away. No matter what's thrown at us, what happens in the next two years or 20 years would not steal our joy. Father, we wanna be anchored in you in the name of your son. Would you help us, Lord? Would you... Would you help us get to where we can't get on our own? Would you remind us of those truths in your word? Would you make us hungry for the truths and the promises revealed in your word that that's where we would find that sense and source of joy that it would be in you? We would be a rejoicing people in every season of the soul. Come and touch us, Lord. Release your anointing upon our hearts to rejoice in you to look in the face of despair, to look in the face of pain, to look in the face of setback, of dry seasons, and say, even still, I will rejoice in my God. I will rejoice in you. My life is not my own. This stuff is not mine. It's all yours. These, relations, these people that are in my life, they're all yours, God. It's all yours. Help us, Lord. We're gonna worship just for a moment. If you'd like to receive prayer for anything, maybe the Lord's touching your heart on some of these themes. Maybe you're just going through a challenging time and you need someone to pray with you. Maybe you're sick in your body and you'd like to receive prayer for healing. We wanna invite you to come up to the front if you wouldn't mind, step on these lines that are up here. We have a ministry team that's able to pray with you willing to pray with you. We're just going to worship the Lord. You can be released to go get your children if you need. Father, we love you. And we ask that you would come and visit us with your presence and power in a deeper way. Even this week, Lord, as families coming into town, as we're going out of town, we ask for an unspeakable joy to touch our hearts, that we would be a rejoicing people. In Jesus' name, amen release the ministry team and friendship group leaders and our pastoral team to come and minister.
Christ of 